0: Do not lose heart Do not lose heart Take care my soul That you not lose, do not lose heart Do not lose heart Do not lose heart Eternity matters So do not lose heart How can I pray When my heart is broken? How can I praise When I see so much pain? How can I try How can I grow when it feels there's no How can I work when it looks so worthless? How can I serve when it all seems vain? Do not lose heart, do not lose heart. Eternity matters, so do do not lose heart. Do not lose heart, do not lose heart. Take care, my soul, that you not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Eternity matters, so do not lose heart. Why do I strive to help the helpless? Why do I stand up to name his good name? Why do I fight? Why do I cry when the world is careless? Why do I preach that the Savior came? Do not lose heart, do not lose heart. Eternity matters, so do not lose heart. Do not lose heart, do not lose heart. heart. Take care, my soul, that you not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart, eternity matters, so do not lose heart. Here I shall preach till my voice is silenced. Here I shall work till my strength fades away. Here I shall love till my heart stops beating. Here I shall walk in the light of the day. Here I shall press on to the finish.
1: Here I shall hear my spirit
0: say, Do not lose heart, do not lose heart, Eternity matters, so do not lose heart.
1: we look at the example of the early church in this video and in this lesson I want us to take a look at what the early church worship looked like during times of persecution now I mean it's it's no amazement that there was persecution that came out about the early church after all Jesus himself was persecuted so it makes sense that his followers would be persecuted it was very well known that that was a possibility let's look at a few passages together first off Romans Romans chapter eight, verse 35, Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? The answer, of course, is nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. The the only way that something like this, that any of these things, persecution listed, hardship, trouble, all these other things, the only way that those can separate us from the love of Christ is if we let it separate us from the love of Christ. Christ himself said things like this in Mark chapter 10. In verses 28 uh, on down to verse 31, we read, then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So here in this passage in Mark 10, Jesus himself says that it's great that they have decided to leave everything for the sake of Jesus Christ and his gospel. But then he also says, look, you're going to receive back a hundred times more. Whenever you were a part of this church, you're going to receive 100 times more in this present age. But then he also includes this interesting little bit here uh, right at the end of verse 30, that along with persecutions, there will be persecutions in this life. Jesus himself gave that warning. But then along with that warning and along with that heads up, Jesus also said in the age to come, you can receive eternal life. Isn't that wonderful to recognize how great these promises of Jesus Christ are? But part of those promises do include persecutions. Jesus also put it another way in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 through 27, Jesus said, the student is not above the teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students Uh, it is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. So Jesus tells us this wonderful thing. He tells us to his disciples that, look, a student is not above his teacher. If the teacher was persecuted, if Jesus himself was put to death, why do we expect better treatment than what Jesus himself received? In verse 25, we also kind of see it that Jesus puts it this way. Look, if the head of the house, that's Jesus himself, is being called Beelzebul. Well, what do you think that means for the members of the household, the the members of his church? That's us, Christians. How do you think they're going to treat us? Well, we find out that, that no matter what we might find, no matter what type of persecutions might come our way, the message still needs proclaimed. In verses 26 and 27, that's what he keeps talking about. Look, these things that are in secret, they're going to be made openly. And in fact, whenever we look at the book of Acts, what we find out is this is exactly the example that the book of Acts shows us. And that is whenever people try to quiet the message of the gospel, the church can't help but just speak out and spread it and proclaim this message everywhere. Let's take a look at some of those examples together. Beginning in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, this is kind of the, the first hint, I would say, uh, of persecution, at least one of the first hints of persecution. Now, all of this comes here in, in Acts 4, uh, it kind of comes on the heel of what, what just happened in Acts 3. So in Acts 3, Uh, A man who was unable to walk is healed and because of that persecution breaks out but then this is really what we see this persecution leading to here uh, of Peter and John so this is what's uh, mentioned Acts 4 verses 1 through 4 the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So here we see that in verse 3, they seized Peter and John. Okay, they capture him, and they put them in jail for the time. And in verse 4, we find out that even though they are trying to quiet this message, and really the messengers, they're trying to quiet the messengers of God. We find out that the number of people who believed, it grew to about 5,000. It continues to grow. No matter how many times they try to silence the message, it continues to grow because this message has got to be proclaimed. It must be proclaimed. It doesn't matter if there's persecution or not coming out. It doesn't matter if there's hardships or not. The message must be proclaimed. So here's one of the instances in which we see persecution against Peter and John. But it goes more than just Peter and John because in the next chapter, In Acts chapter five, verses 41 and 42, we find out that it's now not just Peter and John, but it's other apostles as well. We read this after a a time of persecution happened. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So here in Acts chapter five, we find out that they they were rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy to receive that type of suffering. That's how the early church and the apostles, that's how they responded to persecution is they rejoiced because they were just worthy to be counted uh, of, of this this suffering. They counted worthy of this suffering right here. And they continued on in the temple courts and from house to house. They continued on teaching and proclaiming this good news about Jesus Christ and the Messiah. Now, Eventually, there became a a great persecution that broke out. Uh, If you keep reading in Acts chapter 6 and and 7, you find out about Stephen. Stephen is one of these men who is chosen, and for for whatever reason, uh, they have a a great problem with Stephen, and he is brought in, and in Acts chapter 7, he is actually stoned to death. He's killed. He's known as the first Christian martyr. He is the one who gave his life. He gave the ultimate witness of giving his life for Jesus Christ. He's the first one that we have uh, reported as that happening. We also find out that on that day, a great persecution broke out. Acts chapter eight, in fact, it says, verse one, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So a persecution broke out in Acts chapter one, right after Stephen uh, being killed, But what happens? How do they respond? In verse four, we read read that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And if you keep reading in Acts eight, you find out that the message is still being proclaimed. They're still preaching the word and people are still being converted. They are still becoming Christians. And they continue to do that throughout the book of Acts. And we find out that sometimes this hardship, sometimes this persecution revealed itself as just a type of hardship. For example, in Acts chapter 18, we read that in Corinth, this took place in verse four. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. That makes sense. That's what the early church did. That's what Paul did. That's what other, did, uh, other people did as well. However, sometimes he wasn't allowed to continue teaching in the synagogues. So what did he do then? If hardships arose, if persecutions arose, what did Paul do? What example do we have? Let's pick back up now in verse seven and eight and take a look, Acts chapter 18. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader and his entire household, believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Okay, so it happened that Paul wasn't able to continue proclaiming this message in the synagogue. So what did he do? Well, he continued on in the synagogue for whenever he could, but at some point, he left that synagogue. And in this case, he just went next door. He went right next door to a worshiper of God, someone who would give him an opportunity to continue to proclaim this message. We find out that even, look at verse eight, the synagogue leader himself, he became a Christian. Well, the message still was proclaimed even in the midst of of hardships and persecution. So that's what we read in Acts chapter 18 that happened in Corinth. But in Acts chapter 19, we find out A similar thing happened in Ephesus. So in Acts chapter 19, verse 8, here's what we read. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So if you look at this, what happened in Ephesus? Well, he went to the synagogue, as he normally did, and he continued to argue persuasively about the kingdom of God. But eventually, it it wasn't, uh, the doors weren't open for him to remain at that synagogue, even though they were for three months. But eventually, he couldn't continue that on, and in verse 9, we, we read, so Paul left. That's what he did. He just left that one thing, and he went to another place. In this case, he went to the lecture hall of Tyrannus. I don't know who that guy was, and I don't know much about him, but here we see that his name is recorded here because that's where Paul was allowed to have these discussions daily and to continue to proclaim this message. We find out that Paul, he just was was so insistent on proclaiming this message that they repeatedly just couldn't do anything in order to silence him entirely. Whenever one door closed, another one just opened wide for him to enter through. That's what Paul did, and eventually, after Acts chapter 19, you find out that whenever Paul does finally make his way uh, into Jerusalem, which which he does throughout the book of Acts, but when he goes into Jerusalem and he goes into the temple, people have a problem with him. They actually end up arresting him. They think he's breaking the law. In fact, actually, he never really even breaks the law, which is amazing to me. But he's the type of guy who is able to live uh, within what the law of Moses required, and He does get arrested, and then he has this moment in which he's on trial and he's giving a defense for what he does. So let's pick back up now and let's see what does Paul do whenever he is literally on trial to give some type of defense for why he's doing the things that he does. Let's pick up in Acts 24. Now we're going to look at verses 10 through 16 of Acts chapter 24. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of days you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than twelve days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone in the temple, or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues, or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law, and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God that these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. So whenever we see that Paul here is on trial, in verse 10 he's talking about giving his defense. He is on trial without a doubt. But he says in verse 11, that he went up to Jerusalem to worship. That's just what he was doing. In fact, he says in verse 12 that, look, they're accusing me of these things, but they didn't find me arguing with anybody in the temple. They didn't find me arguing with anybody um, in in these crowds, in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. He wasn't stirring up trouble. I think there is something to learn about the Apostle Paul. He was very strong in his faith. He was very firm in, in his proclamation of the gospel message but he wasn't stirring up trouble. He wasn't arguing. At least he wasn't doing so any more than what was absolutely necessary. He wasn't doing it out of ill motives. Any trouble that Paul stirred up was simply because of this message that he follows the way of Jesus Christ. That's what he says in verse 24, that he worships the God of our ancestors. He worships just like they do in the Old Testament he is a follower of the way because of that way he recognizes the important part that Jesus Christ plays throughout history and most certainly in his own life and he he just he tells him that he doesn't have a problem with these things he was just going to Jerusalem to worship he was not doing anything wrong he believes there's going to be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked and in verse 16 we see this wonderful example That he strives always to keep his conscience clear before God and man. That's an example worth following. That's something that we can learn for us as well. So the early church, during persecution times, what did they do? What did Paul do? Well, he wasn't stirring up any unnecessary trouble. But he was a follower of the way. He was firm in his faith. And he did so with a clear conscience. Things that we still need to be participating in uh, today as well. And that is, the message has got to be proclaimed, even in the midst of persecution. I want to look at one final example from pretty much the end of, of uh, the book of Acts. See, this trial that he was on, it it went on and continued on for actually several years because he just kind of was getting thrown in jail and he just remained there for a couple years and he was taken somewhere else. And it's just, it's a very confusing thing after Acts 24 through the very end. But finally, in Acts 28, this trial eventually leads him to the point to where he goes to Rome, but he goes to Rome as a prisoner. He's still in chains. He's still being caused problems from these accusers way back here that he's, he's talking about already. He didn't do anything wrong, yet he is the one who's in trouble. So in Acts chapter 28, in verse 16, when they finally get to Rome, this is what we uh, what we read. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him make no mistake of this. Yes, in some ways this is an okay situation, but it's what we would call today house arrest. It's not exactly the most pleasing thing, but he was allowed to live by himself. He had the soldier to guard him. What did that look like? This most certainly was in times of very difficult persecution. Yet we read this as the very end of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 28 verses 30 and 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So what did early church look like in the midst of persecution? Well, for Paul, he was in prison, in house arrest, but it can even be called his own rented house. And he was still able to welcome all who came to see him. And verse 31 still tells us that he was proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's still teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. Early church worship during persecution times, worship still happens. Though it might look a little different. I mean, obviously, if Paul had his way, he would have been able to freely come and go. But, you know, instead he had to be under that house arrest here he was still proclaiming the message. And this statement, I I love how the very end of it, he is most certainly like in some type of chains, like in bondage, so to speak. But yet it says that he was still able to do these things, to proclaim and to teach with all boldness and without hindrance. Yes, worship might look different in times of persecution, but it can still happen. So the lesson for all of us to learn from this and the the early church's example is that we can still worship God today because we we don't have it half as difficult times as what they did at at different snapshots in history throughout the book of Acts and, and the early church that persecution that they had we can still worship God today if we choose to because nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ
0: I love you, Lord, so I want to be baptized And wash my sins away I love you, Lord, so I want to be baptized And then I can be saved I love you, Lord, so I want to be baptized With Jesus I'll be raised I love you, Lord, so I want to be baptized Giving God God the the praise And I'll be born Lord, so my friend I've been baptized And washed my sins away I love the Lord, so my friend I've been baptized I'm now among the same I love the Lord, so my friend I've been baptized, with Jesus I've been raised I love the Lord, so my friend I've been baptized Giving giving God God the praise, and I've been born Born again, a child of God I am. I love you, friend, won't you come and be baptized, And wash your sins away. I love you, friend, won't you come and be baptized, And then you can be saved. I love you, friend, won't you come and be baptized, With Jesus you'll be raised. I love you, friend, won't you come and be baptized? God, Giving God the praise, and you'll be born. Yes, born again.